All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is is Robert Frere, and I'm one of the elders here at the church. I want to cover some teaching that I gave to the junior high boys over the last few weeks in the in the book of James. So, if you could turn to James chapter two, uh, starting with verse fourteen, and this is a it's a pretty familiar passage to. To most people who have, uh, if you've studied James at all. But what I would like to do is, if I could have somebody read James 2, starting at verse 14 and going through verse 24. 14 through 24 of, of James chapter 2. Mike? What use is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and needs daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, it says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. All right. Now, this is a really important passage, and it's been uh, rather controversial over the years. Back in the days of the Reformation, Martin Luther is is um, credited with saying that the James was a an epistle of straw. And his criticism of James a lot had to go with this idea of, is... Is salvation by faith alone, or does salvation by good works and faith sort of together? And so James is dealing with that concept, and and in a lot of places people will think that James here is contradicting what Paul has said, because Paul has said clearly that salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But if James here is saying that salvation is by works, then do we have a, a contradiction in Scripture or what's going on here? In fact, the Catholic apologist will go to that last verse that was read and, and where it says, you, in verse 24, it says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And the Catholic apologist will go to that verse and they'll say, well, you see there, there's only one place in all of Scripture where it says faith alone. And right here in James, and he says that salvation is not by faith alone. Alright, so when we look at these things, we want to understand a couple of things this morning. One, we want to understand what is James talking about? Is he contradicting Paul or is he is this teaching here in James consistent with the rest of Scripture? And also, I'd like us to understand, if we have the time, depending on how it goes this morning, what is James talking about when he says that faith 
produces works, what are those, what does that look like? Why is it that way that faith would have the evidence of works? What is going on uh, spiritually inside of us that causes us to desire to do these good works? Because I think if we understand these things, there's some, there's some basic biblical truths in here as well as if we understand these things clearly, it can help us not be confused and not be dragged down uh, roads that can get us into uh, places where we don't want to be. So let's again, let's just start with verse 14. And here in James 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? All right, and what's the answer to that question? If uh, somebody has faith but he does not have works, can that faith save him? All right, and the answer there is no. The answer is no because here's the here's the here's the question, right? And this is why we this is why I brought this chap, this uh, passage up. It's because if we're looking at it, we have to understand what is the characteristics of saving faith, right? And that's the that's the piece that we have to understand because we have to understand what is he contrasting? He's contrasting two things, right? Is he contrasting Faith with no works and works with no faith? Is that what he's contrasting? And the answer is no, that's not what he's contrasting. So as we look in this, we need to understand what is it that he's contrasting. Because if we look at that and we understand it in greater detail, we'll have a clearer picture of what James is talking about. All right. So when he says... If someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can that faith save him? And then he goes into an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? Alright, so you see somebody who's poor. You have means, you see somebody who's poor, you say, hey, I hope that you, that you get uh, you know, warm and that you get some good food in you, but you leave them in that state. What good have you done for them? You haven't done any good for them, right? And so James is then is, is speaking of that in, in terms of that's what it's like to say you have faith, but to not have good works, because if you say that you care for somebody, yet you do nothing to help them, that's a useless caring. And in a, in a similar fashion, if you say that you have faith, but there's nothing that goes with that faith, there's no works that go with that, then it's a useless faith. So but James himself then goes on and answers that in, in verse 17, and he says, So also... Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay? Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that salvation is by God's grace through faith. Okay? Now, let me ask you. If you have faith that 
Let's say you have faith that George Washington was the first president of the United States. All right? You believe that to be true. You're willing to bet money on the fact that George Washington was the first president. All right. Is faith that George Washington was president, the first president, is that the faith that will save you? No. Why not? He's dead. He can't do anything about it, right? Okay, so, so, there's, so when it says that, when, when Paul says that salvation is by grace through faith, he didn't mean any kind of faith in anyone you want, right? So there was actually content and truth that had to be, uh, that you have to have proper faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved, Right? So when we, you could take his word though, and if he said, well, salvation is by grace through faith, as long as I have faith in something, isn't that good enough? But that's not the biblical message, and so we can't just take a word uh, when it says through faith and take it away from its context where it explains what it is that we're talking about. And if I told you that Jesus was, you know, a guy who, you know, 2,000 years ago said a lot of good things and he was a pretty good teacher, but now he's dead and in the grave. Could faith in Jesus, that Jesus that I just explained to you, could that faith in that Jesus save you? No, again, because the faith in the Jesus that is going to save us is faith in the true Jesus Christ, who is fully God and was man at the same time, who was the Son of God and one of the member of the triune God for eternity. So the fact is, is that it is having faith in God himself that is what brings salvation to us, by God's grace, through faith in the true Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, how is it that God saves us? Because if we go to turn to Ephesians, and if you look in Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1, uh, Paul is describing, and Steve did this not too long ago in, uh, in uh, evening service, but if, if we look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, so by saying we all, Paul is including himself and his, the people with him in the group that he's addressing, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, so... When we talk about this, what is, the, what is the state of mankind apart from God? Dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead, unable to please God. And why is that true? Because we are by nature, it says here, by nature children of wrath. Well, how did we become by nature children of wrath? Well, it's through Adam, because Adam, who was born in innocence, without a sin nature, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, 
it says in Romans that sin entered the world and death through sin. So that through Adam, his descendants, and through those descendants all the way down to us, we received a nature that is a sin nature. A nature that is dead to pleasing God and who has the ability to make a choice. Our, our nature has the ability to choose, but what we choose is always against what God would have us do because we want what we want, not what God would have us do. So, Ephesians, Paul says we are by nature children of wrath. Okay? So if if we are spiritually dead, how would you expect an unbeliever to act? In a way that's pleasing to God or displeasing to God? Displeasing, right? Okay, now, so then, if you wanted to get an example of someone who was a person apart from God, one of the things you could look at is... What do they do? Is their actions demonstrate that they are walking or living in a manner apart from God? Well, if by nature they desire to sin and to please themselves, and by their flesh they desire to please themselves, then what a person apart from God is going to do is going to please himself by chasing the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The, these types of things that scripture talks about. So, here's the thing. In back to Ephesians, it says, But God, in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see, this is a wonderful statement of God taking a dead person and making them alive. Right? How did he do that? How did he make that dead person alive? Well, we don't have time to go through everything this morning, but Scripture tells us that, there, that the work of the Holy Spirit, working in conjunction with the Father and the Son, what the Holy Spirit does is regenerate those whom God has chosen for himself. So that when the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates a person, what he does is he takes out the sin nature out of the person and he puts in them a divine nature and that divine nature then can hear and understand the gospel message because that person has a new nature they are able to understand the gospel understand their need for a savior and then call out in saving faith to Jesus Christ because their new nature is able to please God. Apart from God, we have a sin nature, unable to please God. Through the regeneration, we get a divine nature. We are able to please God. And what pleases God most is when we, as we get that new nature, we hear his gospel message, we repent and believe and are saved and justified by God. That's the gospel message and that is what brings a person from death, spiritual death, to spiritual life. Okay, so now... Think about it. 
when somebody is converted, in your life when you were converted, was it just something that you mentally did? You just decided, today I'm going to start going to church and be, being a Christian when yesterday I wasn't? It's not, because if we believe Scripture, just as I described, something actually happened in your life. In fact, Scripture tells us that God, as I said, took away the old nature, put in the new nature, and then when we call out in faith, He justifies us, and He comes and dwells within us. You see, these things that I'm describing actually happen. So that someone who is a true believer actually has a new nature. And as scripture said, is, is actually a new creature. The new has come, the old has passed away. So, would we expect the new creation of God to act like the old creation that was a, an enemy of God's? Yes or no? What do you think? No. No. We would not expect that because he is a new creation. Now, if you turn to Romans 6, let's see, Paul is descri describes this in Romans 6. So if we look at Romans 6, Paul is answering a, an objector to what he's teaching. He's just said that, you know, whenever sin, wherever sins abound, grace abounds all the more. Great, God's grace is greater than the sins of mankind. And he's, he's anticipating in here that somebody might say, oh, well, if that were so, then why don't I just continue to sin even more because all that does is it, is it brings out more and more of God's grace and he can be glorified all the more and more. So Paul's trying to answer that question. What does it say? In Romans 6, verse 1, it says... What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And what's the answer to that question? No. no. Alright, mine says by no means. Does any of your translations say something, different words? God forbid. God forbid. Alright, anybody else? Certainly not. May it never be. Okay, all these things in any... Buddy, who's reasonable reads those words you come up with the fact that the answer is no that's crazy it makes no sense to continue in sin that grace may abound it makes no sense it's foolishness it's the kind of thing you would expect maybe your kids to do when they're young and they wanted to go do something you say what where did you get that from that's that's absolutely crazy Okay? But why is it crazy? That's the, that's the part that goes with what I just talked about. Why is that crazy? And what does he say? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay? So what is Paul saying? That a person who is a believer has died to sin... So therefore, a characteristic of how they will live will be that they will live in obedience to the Lord, not continuing in sin. Now, when it says continue in sin, I want to make sure that we're clear about this, right? 
believers still sin. We still choose to sin, but the difference is... When he says continue in sin, that's talking about being characterized by an ongoing desire to continue in the path you were going. And that type of sin is not the characteristic of a believer. But instead, a believer, when we do sin, we are convicted by the Spirit. We desire to be at right with God. We repent of our sins. We try to turn away from those and to be pleasing towards God. That's what a believer does. So, the actions of a believer will be to obey and please our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what a believer does. Characterized by. Right? We do sin, we do fall short, but the true believer will repent and turn around again and say, I desire and I will to do what God has called me to do. Because we have a new nature, and that new nature desires to please God, and that new nature then gives us the choice. Now as a believer, when we're faced with the temptation to sin or not to sin, we have the choice... We can choose to be obedient to what God has called us to do. We can choose to obey Him. You are not locked as a believer. You are not locked into sinning. Every situation that comes up, God has given you a way of escape and you are able to choose to obey Him because you have a divine nature inside you. Okay? Now, I started off in James. Let's go back to James and let's try to understand what James is saying in light of what we just talked about. So, when it talks about then, going back to the beginning here in in verse 14. I'm in Romans 6, so I'm going to get confused if I stay there. I have to go back to James 2.14. Okay. So what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works? So what is this question really saying? This question is is saying, okay, somebody claims to be a Christian, but when you look at their life, they do not do good works that are pleasing to God. Okay, well, if that person has a new divine nature and they have been justified by God and brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and are a new creature, the old has passed away, the new has come, then can they have no good works? And scripturally the answer is no. Because they are a new creature. That new creature will do what the Lord desires. Not perfectly, but they will desire because that's in their heart, in their divine nature that they've been given. That's what they want to do. So, when we see here what is James saying? Well, if somebody says they have faith but has no works, then what that really is, is an evidence of a false faith. Not a true faith, but a false faith Because true faith will have good works. Alright. 
can that faith save him? That's why the answer to the question, can that faith save him, is no, because if someone claims to have faith, but they have no good works, then it's like it says in 1 John, if you claim that you are in the light, but you walk in the darkness, then you are a liar, and the light of God is not in you. You see, there's a difference between confessing faith and possessing faith. If you have a true faith, you will then, because your nature insists upon it, you will do things to please God. Okay. But someone will say, verse 18, But some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith. All right. Now this one is kind of hard because the the sentence structure and, and the words in here are hard to understand. So, I read a commentary on this one to help me through this, and here's what and here's what I get from when it says, "You have faith, I have works." Right? He was referring to somebody else's saying this. Okay, so in shorthand, this is what the actual statement would be: Someone else might say, "You have faith." That person would say, "I have a faith that has no works." You have a faith with works, that's just two different types of faith. And then so James's response to that is, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So once again, what James is saying is, there's no such thing as a faith that has no works, because there will be evidence apparent in the way that we live out our lives, if we truly have come to Christ. Okay, so then, 19, you believe that God is one? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Okay, now this goes back to my George Washington's question earlier, right? Well, do the demons believe that there's one God? Yes, they do. But do they believe in a way where that is a saving belief and where they've turned from their sins and, go, and turned to Christ? And the answer is no. They, there's a surface faith. In fact, if I had time, we could go to John 2. And it says that the people came around Jesus and it says they had faith in Jesus and they wanted to make him king. But then it says, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. You see, they had a, a type of faith, but it wasn't a saving faith. It was, yeah, I see his miracles. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, he could save us from the Romans. This would be a great thing to have. Let's make him king. But that's not saving faith. And Jesus didn't say, oh, well, this is good. Let me start here, and then I can build it into more something more. But by the end of chapter 6, all of the people who were following him were dispersed, except for the 12 disciples. So, the kind of faith that is surface level, that is just minimalistic, is not a saving faith. Demons understand there's one God. So you saying, I believe in one God, or you saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, by itself isn't going to save you. But the one who has comes to Christ in 
understanding their guilt before God and repents and calls out for mercy, that man will be saved. And that's a different type of faith. Okay. Do you want to be shown, verse 20, you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? All right, so we get a little bit, it gets a little bit hard in here. Was Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, if we looked in our Bibles, if I had more time, if we looked in our Bibles and we went to Genesis 15, we would see that God gives Abraham the statement that he will be the father of a great multitude and that through his lineage the, the Savior of the world would come. And it says Abraham believed God and it was credited with righteousness or imputed with righteousness and that's the passage that talks about salvation is by God's grace through faith that that was the point in time in which Abraham believed God and was declared righteous by God all right but many years pass in fact in Genesis 21 God tells Abraham to let Hagar and Ishmael go because the promise, the one that Abraham believed in, the promise will come through Isaac. That's what God tells Abraham in Genesis 21. Then in Genesis 22, he says, Abraham, get up, take this son that you love, Take him to a place that I'm going to show for you and sacrifice him, kill him. All right, so now, here's the question. Is Abraham going to do that? Well, the passage says early the next morning, he gets up, takes everything he needs to do the sacrifice, takes Isaac, and he goes. And if we looked in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham... He trusted God and believed that even if he killed Isaac, that God was able to resurrect Isaac from the dead because he believed God when he said the promise would come through Isaac. And he believed God when God said, go and sacrifice Isaac. He believed him in both places. So, when Abraham did what God said to do, did that save him? Going back to James. Was Abraham being obedient? Is that what saved Abraham? No, it was not. But what was it? It was evidence of the true faith that we saw spelled out in Abraham believed God and was credited with righteousness. That belief, that faith, was demonstrated to be true by Abraham's obedience, his works. So by his works, it demonstrated that the faith was real. So, James in... A lot of you guys will have MacArthur commentaries. I, 
I don't, I'm not going to say I'm disagreeing with MacArthur, but I'm going to say my focus is a little bit different than what MacArthur's will say right in this area here. Because MacArthur talks about James talking about that Abraham was justified before men by his actions of obeying. All right? And I'm taking that a little bit different. What I'm saying is James is going back to his main point which is faith without works is dead. True faith will have works. And so when he says that Abraham was justified by, was our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What he's saying there by works is that's shorthand for the faith that contains the works that he did. So that he's going back and saying that Abraham was saved by faith that was demonstrated by his work of obeying God in being willing to offer up his son Isaac on the altar, taking him, having the knife ready. Abraham didn't waver in disbelief, but he followed God to the end till God stopped him from killing Isaac. So... When we look at it again, you see that the faith was active along with his works. That when you talk about Christian faith, you cannot separate faith and works. Because faith has works. It you has to because we're new creatures and the new creatures desire to obey God. You just can't separate them out. So when he says that he's saved by works, he's saying he's saved by the faith that contains the good works because he is a new creature and with a divine nature and he will do those things that God has called him to do. That's the faith that that Abraham has. And he's saved by that faith. But somebody else who said that they had faith and when God said to do something, they go, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. When he says they do not have works, well, if they don't have works, then they don't have that saving faith that always has the works that go with them. All right, so to finish this up, I'm going to go down here and it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, James takes the... Uh, obedience of offering Isaac and he says that true bit of history is what declares the truth of what happened all those years earlier when it was written Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness because it was a demonstration of his true faith that had occurred earlier okay And he was called a friend of God. In verse 24, and here's where we're going to end. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So how would you you understand this? Faith by works, not by faith alone. What is he saying? After all my ranting this morning, does anybody give me a good explanation of this? All right. Absolutely. That when he says that we are saved by works, 
He's saying we are saved by the faith that has good works, not by this so-called faith that is all by itself and it has no good works with it. So that's the passage. That's what he's got. Now, we've got a question up here. When you first asked the question, can you be truly saved, my answer was yes. The reason is I'm thinking of people that did not have time to demonstrate, like the thief mm-hmm. on the cross or deathbed conversion. Mm-hmm. They could, we don't know. Maybe it wasn't a true, genuine, but... Absolutely, and we and, and we don't know in case, but God does. And I wouldn't, and obviously, and I don't think you do either, that doesn't take away from the teaching of, of James here. It simply is, James is talking to people who are still alive and who are still trying to live the Christian life, and he's giving them that, that teaching that, look, if you're alive today and you claim to be a believer, then you will have good works. And if you come across somebody who claims to be a believer, but they do not have good works, then they are not truly saved. And therefore, what James is telling us is not in contradiction to what Paul says, or what John says, or what the Old Testament says. Salvation has always been by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and then... We'll be done. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that we will not be confused, but that we will understand that as new creatures, we love you, we desire to obey you, and that will manifest in our lives. And that we not be afraid of saying that I desire to do good works to please God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.